0: Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation
1: podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspective on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. Each episode features a discussion on current topics from the latest consumer trends and new products to shifts in markets and lifestyles. I'm Andrew McDouble, Director of Beauty and Personal Care at Mintel, and today I'm very excited to be joined by my colleagues to discuss the big conversation that we're running in Europe. And this particular topic we're looking at is all around enjoyment and pleasure and how that plays out in the consumer goods trends in general, uh, and also how that is reflected through the food and drink category, as well as beauty and personal care as well. So I'm very excited to be joined by my esteemed food colleagues, uh, Aisha Kieniken and Alex Beckett today. So hello to you both.
2: Hello. Hi, Andrew. Hello.
1: And we're also joined, I'm very happy to be joined as well, uh, by uh, our trends guru, uh, Simon Moriarty as well. So welcome to the podcast, Simon. Thanks for having me. Uh, Now, as I mentioned, um, we will be looking at enjoyment and pleasure uh, in many different ways. Uh, And I know that all three of you have a lot to say on this. uh, And we've been running studies ahead of the big conversation event. Um, So there's a lot of sort of new data, new examples that we're all sort of brimming to the full to get uh, out into the open. So. Without any further ado, I guess my first question to all three of you uh, is how important a role does enjoyment or pleasure play in the consumer goods space and and sort of where are we right now given sort of the global context of everything going on. Um, I don't know who wants to jump in on that first.
2: Um, I can go. In terms of how important it is right now, um, I think if we just look back to the pandemic and and where we were, we were in desperate need of pleasure and indulgence and escapism. Um, And we all promised ourselves that we'd get much more sensible, much more measured when things got better. Um, unfortunately, because of you know cost of living crisis, um, the ongoing climate catastrophe, and the conflict in Ukraine, things haven't. haven't really um, got that much better. Um, And so the need for pleasure is still really very evident. Um, And Alex and I have kind of been exploring the fact that brands often position pleasurable and indulgent products as being a naughty one-off thing um, that consumers should kind of feel guilty about. Um, But perhaps we need to look again at the role of indulgence within food and drink with a bit more empathy and a bit more understanding of the increased role that it plays in just the day-to-day coping mechanisms of consumers.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I remember when we were thinking back, probably late last year, we were trying to work out what the the topic should be for this big conversation series of presentations. And um, and at the time, you know, everything was there on the plate, really. It could have been the, the lingering COVID and how people were reacting to that still and possibly life after after the pandemic, once things get back to nor- normality or the climate crisis or plant-based, you know, the big, the big usual kind of topics. But the, the one that really stuck out for us was pleasure. And it kind of seemed a little bit controversial to think about pleasure at the time because it was like, well, how can you think about, do clients really want to talk about something like this with so many challenges happening in the world? But but we, we thought, actually, yeah, this is the ultimate time to really think about it more seriously um, and really scrutinize what, what pleasure really means. Don't cast it off as something trivial. It's the ultimate mark of value, not least in food and drink, at a time when consumers are scrutinizing value for money, pleasure, taste, you know. So, um, yeah, so it's it's been an absolutely fascinating topic to really cover a bit more seriously than perhaps we have done before.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think it's um, it's interesting. You sort of, it's almost like we need it now more than ever. I definitely feel like it, it's we, could, especially from the beauty side of things. We definitely feel like beauty brings people pleasure in certain ways, and you know the way it makes you feel uh, from looking good or from sort of the empowerment you can get from using certain products. But actually, I think you're right. a step further now to think that actually this goes a little bit deeper. It's more about sort of maybe the routine or how you know sort of the the a the feeling or the experience then attached to that. Um, which is very, very interesting to look at. Uh, I mean, so Simon, from your point of view, sort of covering sort of consumer trends in general, I mean, how important a role do you see enjoyment and pleasure playing?
3: Yeah, massive, massive role. I mean, enjoyment has always been A crucial way for brands to market to consumers because, you know, outside of food and drink and beauty and personal care, it's a it's a way to hook consumers in, gain their attention. This product will make me happy. This campaign will make me happy. This is memorable because it made me laugh. And I think. It's always been important, but it's, it's it's changed fairly significantly, I think, over the last couple of years, because it's not just about the kind of tactile enjoyment you get from a product or the short term kind of endorphins that you get from eating a bar of chocolate or, you know, the, the enjoyment about positive impact on the mental health, whether it's being part of a community, we're seeing a shift away from people kind of focusing on themselves. Um I think the most recent data we have shows about 24-25% of people say they want to stand out from the crowd and about 50% say they, it's important to feel part of the community. And that's all to do with happiness. That makes them feel that enjoyment. So we're seeing a shift away from kind of personal happiness almost. That's that's like a side effect of, of being part of a, a community of, of enjoyment, whether that's Around a brand, whether it's around a product, whether it's your physical community that you live in or you work in,
1: and in terms of obviously, as I say, I sort of said at the start, this is we're specifically getting together for the big conversation to discuss this topic. I know we normally would always sit around discussing these kind of topics anyway together, um, but for this specific reason, we did run specific consumer surveys fresh for the the event, um, which is coming up at the end uh, of May. Um, so. With regards to that, um, what were your findings? Were there any sort of big? I know Simon sort of mentioned a little bit about some of the data he's found there, but were, were there any sort of big surprises or interesting things to note from sort of the studies that you did run? As I say, right, some of the some of the data that I saw in the beauty world, we were kind of expecting, but the absolute majority, right across the board in every European country that we asked the questions, it was really interesting to see just how universal actually this and how sort of important this topic almost seemed because we see we received some very good positive results on this. So I was, I was very intrigued to know what your sort of findings were. Um, again, open question to anyone who wants to take it up first.
3: I think one of the interesting things that we found from a, a kind of more holistic consumer behavior point of view was that nostalgia has become a hugely important way of um, delivering comforts and enjoyment and, you know, happy memories. And it's kind of, that's really shifted, I think. Um, Looking at the UK, 69% of people enjoy things that remind them of their childhoods, which is much higher than the kind of other experiential questions that we ask. I think it was about 59% of UK consumers um, say they enjoy fun in all aspects of life. So this idea of happiness and enjoyment, it doesn't have to be kind of that extreme level of being happy all the time it could be an element of nostalgia that provides comfort to you in times of uncertainty that still builds into that enjoyment and that pleasure
2: Um, for me I think our our stats that came back they reiterate how important pleasure is and indulgences in food and drink, which is not surprising, but I think what surprised me was just how much guilt underpins that, so how much guilt there is around indulging in the things that that you, that you love. Um, so in Poland, for example, 50% of consumers say it's been easier to justify eating indulgent food and drink since the pandemic, but 50% say that the polar opposite of that, and that just goes to show this really complicated uh, relationship we have between food and guilt. Um, And one of the things that we look at is, um, I guess, the food and drink industry's halfway house on indulgence and health and sometimes um, ethics as well, um, which, you know, we can call permissible indulgence. Um, And the fact that that often misses the mark. So a surprising number of consumers said they didn't believe that a product could be indulgent and healthy and planet-friendly all at the same time. And this was actually spearheaded by um, Gen Z so by the younger consumers and this just indicates to us that these products are still seen as very much a compromise and not really hitting those pleasure high notes that they need to and that's something i think given the fact that so many of our food and drink clients will have permissible indulgence rightly so you know on the top of their innovation pipeline we just need to take another look at that and understand what role is that playing and does it go far enough for consumers in, in trying times
0: that that whole area of of the guilty pleasure my words that was uh that was a really murky kind of area to analyze and try and, and get some insights from just a complex conflicted big kind of jungle of emotions which is happening right now um with people wanting the treat, the reward of food, but knowing at the same time they've got the climate crisis or the packaging might not be right, you know? So they just want to do the right thing, but they, they need the treat as well. Um, it's really fascinating. The the thing that really stood out for me relates to what I believe is the best TV advert in the world, and it's not been battered, bettered. Or battered. Oh, it does involve getting battered. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember the the Carlsberg advert from back in the early 90s, where, and it's taken from the World War II film, Ice Cold in Alexandria. Ice Cold in Alex. And it basically involves these British, I'm going somewhere, I know you're looking confused. These soldiers traverse across the Sahara Desert being pursued um, by the Nazis, and they eventually they dodge all of minefields and they get across the hot desert and they get to the bar and they suddenly, and they're just dreaming about this ice cold pint of lager. And the advert is taking that. It's that moment where they're at the bar and they're they're hot, they're sunburned and they're watching the condensation trip down the glass of this lovely pint of Carlsberg. It's a Carlsberg advert. And it was an advert that absolutely celebrated the power of anticipation which obviously Guinness has done the best things worth waiting for. But we have this blinding stat from from Europe. Um, Food and drink is more satisfying when you have to wait for it. And the average response across the countries was about 35%, around, yeah, two in five, 39% France, 35% UK, agree that food and drink is more satisfying when you have to wait for it. But in many markets it really peaks among sixteen to thirty fours. So what we've kind of gleaned from that is that you know younger people are just living in this age of instant gratification the, the amazon prime um Deliveroo, you know instant messaging, what have you but when they're being forced to wait for something, when that's not out of their when that's out of their hands. That pleasure of anticipation is, is we, we're arguing, is underrated as a kind of an emotion. Anticipation is underrated as a prized and powerful emotion. that uh, Maybe food and drink can play with a bit more. I love that
1: concept, actually, because it, it immediately made me think of um, when you're watching TV programs now, like I'm just used to being able to binge watch everything. And mm. then like, there's a few TV shows that I follow, for example, Better Call Saul uh, on Netflix, and that's uh, released weekly. And I almost get annoyed that I have to wait another week, but then you're so excited that following week when it comes around. So it is kind of like, actually, you know what? I'm, I've gotten used to instant gratification, but actually it's quite nice to have that. I really love that, that idea around anticipation. Uh, for the record, whilst you were speaking, I wasn't being rude. I was actually looking up the Colesburg advert and watched it and they looked tired and muddy and they looked like they really wanted that Colesburg. So, um, I, no, I, I get it. I, I kind of feel like that's a, a really interesting, um, it's a really interesting connection. That kind of advert would probably, particularly if we think of like the lockdown narrative, I feel like that that kind of advert would probably resonate now, this idea that, oh, I've found I've got out with my friends or my family and we can go for a nice pint or a nice, you know, a, a coffee or something like that. Um, it. it's, it's interesting that you sort of, I love this, this talk around sort of guilt, um, particularly, again, given the global context, everything that is occurring for many different situations. It's a really interesting thing. Are we are we allowed to enjoy enjoy things right now? Like, is that something we can do? I don't know. So, no, I love I love that kind of that kind of idea. Um, On the beauty side of things, we kind of we didn't look at guilt as much, but it was there was definitely um, when you delve deeper into the data itself around sort of oh yeah, beauty brings you happiness, it's empowering, it's confidence building, etc. You do then get to again this sort of murky underworld of body positivity. Then, and actually how that now needs to be something that needs to be addressed because it's not all we're talking about enjoyment and pleasure and happiness, but a lot of the time it's grounded in something that may be negative. Um, so it's interesting to see again how companies can flip that and do that in the right way to connect best with consumers. Um, so no, I really, I really like, um, th- those examples as well. I'm just sort of thinking as well about sort of everything we talked about and we talked about that feeling or that experience going forward. I know, Simon, you in particular, I know I've spoken to you a lot about sort of experiences meaning more than possessions and how consumers say that. And I, I wonder how true is that? Like is, in a survey, consumers may say experience is more important to me than material possessions because and people may say that out loud because it does sound better to say that maybe to say that an experience is more important than, you know, this Gucci handbag or something. But do you think that that is true? Do you you think that's a genuine thing? Do you think uh, people who spend on experiences are typically happier than people who would rather spend on sort of possessions themselves? I mean, is there a counter argument to this or or am I sort of playing
3: devil's advocate for the complete wrong reason? No, I think it's a good question. It's a valid question, but I don't think it's necessarily about spending. I think it's consumers thinking kind of (laughs) taking away the element of how much money am I willing to spend on an experience versus a material possession it's about having both. And yeah, you're right. People will say often the things that they think they should say, which is why we get high response rates about people trying not to harm the environment, for example, might not definitely replicate their day-to-day behavior, but it's something they feel they should be doing. And I think it's it's also about having a kind of longer-term worldview that people are, are trying to move out of a material-led life and sort of the, the alternative is the experiential um but i don't think i don't think it's untrue when we see large responses i mean it does vary quite a lot across europe i mean only 55% of french consumers agree that experiences are more important than material possessions and then that goes up to 77% in italy and poland so there are large discrepancies um <laughs> But it's something, it's, it, because it's an alternative to what people are used to, it's something that I think people cling on to because they, they can have both. You can have material possessions and you can have experiences, and often they're bound up in the same thing. And buying a material possession can also give you an experience. Um, I think the important difference is that people need material possessions, and that's something that I think has led markets up till now. I think there's been less focus on the fact that people also need experiences for the benefits of their own mental health their own well-being um obviously at the moment coming out of a, a period of uncertainty and anxiety and going straight into another period of uncertainty and anxiety it's becoming more talked about but it's always been a basic human need for new experiences to share things with other people to have memories to fall back on um and we're seeing a number of advertising campaigns, kind of not quite as dramatic as the one that Alex was talking about, but I think it's Expedia at the moment has a, a TV campaign with and McGregor asking, are people likely to remember the things they bought? Or is it more about the things that they, the places that they've been kind of moving through a, a kind of shifting landscape of sort of gadgets and toys and things like that and opening out into a, a beach and a sea view? And I think that's showing that brands are starting to focus on the experiential as much more of a selling point. But I think it can be slightly disingenuous because it's almost like saying you can't have both. And actually, you can have both. And I think you should have both material possessions and experiences. Both are important for happiness.
2: I think it's interesting like just thinking about the food and drink uh, industry and how this uh kind of shift towards a focus on experiences is playing out. So we're quite used now in food service for our um, our trips to restaurants and fast casual dining, for example, to have these elements of experience built in. But I think what you're seeing now as we have more in-home eating occasions in, in the wake of the pandemic, um, not to keep banging on about that, but it was, it was quite a big deal. Um, I think you're seeing a lot of these um, innovations around experience. Coming into the home, and like front of mind for me is a product that's recently launched from Kraft Heinz. So, they've just launched these dip and crunch. Um, it's basically like texture in a box. So, um, if you think about the trend you might have seen on social media or in food service for dipping burgers into sauce, whether it be like a cheesy sauce or whatever, and then dipping it into something crunchy, well, um, Kraft Heinz have, have very much brought that to life. Um, so it's like a dual compartment burger company. Accompaniment, if you like. Um, And yeah, that's just taking trends from food service and from social media and bringing them, reimagining them for the home, making that in-home dining much more experiential, building memories, food for sharing, that sort of thing. That's how it's playing out in in, um, food and drink.
1: I've, I've seen this exact product you're on about as well and it kind of made me feel guilty for thinking I've definitely done that before like dipped maybe not a burger mm-hmm. but maybe like dipped like a chip in like some ranch dressing and then you know like you get like the little um, like the little fried onion bits that yeah. uh, like you can get yeah, you, you just buy them and then just like put them in that I've definitely done that before so A I feel kind of proud that I've cottoned onto a trend <laughs> uh, many moons ago but B also feel guilty and massively embarrassed yeah. Um, that I I have done that so it's really interesting.
2: Yeah that's that thing about guilt so I think the tagline for the advert is so wrong it's right and just tapping into this idea of guilty pleasures you know can we turn some of these guilty pleasures on their head and make them a thing because people are doing it people are doing these things so um, we, we can't ignore that behaviour and maybe recognising it and embracing it and being a bit more empathetic and inclusive of some of these things that people are doing as coping mechanisms looking for fun looking for escapism you know maybe that's a different approach to you know looking at indulgence and looking at pleasure in food and drink
0: it's just real world examples isn't it it's like say it is ultimate empathy what's really happening out there what are people dipping their burgers into (laughs) (laughs)
1: and and it's a question we want to know the answer to
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's next year's presentation but no that's um it's it's just democratizing it. It's making it mass and accessible. A lot of people wouldn't think about dipping their burgers into those
3: different textures, but now they've got the the ability to. Um, but you think if you think of like childhood experiences, I'm sure I'm not the only one in, on this podcast or listening to this podcast that, if I visited or was taken to a fast food restaurant like McDonald's or Wimpy when I was a child dipping my french fries in my milkshake or dipping my burger in my milkshake, mixing things up. Because when you're a kid, you're just trying everything all the time. You're trying what works. And then as, as you kind of move into adulthood, you're told what's right and what's wrong. And I think this idea of moving back, and we've talked about this in from a trends point of view a lot, that the idea of childishness being a really important part of playfulness and pleasure, I think it is a hugely important element. And as I said, it's, it's about... Democratization, making it mass, moving away from this idea of guilt, because childishness is all about innocence and playfulness, and I think it's hugely important to for brands to recognise that that's a really. Quick and effective way to, to target people, make them feel, even if it's only momentarily, better about their situation or about the world around them. You know, it's and it's it's something that brands can do very quickly and easily. Whether it's through marketing messages, you know, shifting the, the focus of a product, so you know, encouraging people to dip their burger into different types of thing. Um, you know, dipping your chips into milkshake should be encouraged for people who like chips and milkshake. But I think it's, it's, it's just a huge part of this idea of exp- the experiential and making people happy. I think childishness just allows people to break out of their confines and brands can encourage them to make makes them feel like it's okay to be childish
2: Mm.
1: i like the idea because that's definitely like i think sometimes when you get with in beauty we see it with like expression like expression of different makeup looks or different things like people are always experimenting with like contouring for example the amount of like if you go on uh video blogs or anything on social media the amount of contour videos and it's all about creating this like childish you know children's characters you create them on your face with contour pens and then by the end of it obviously you merge it all together and you've got this wonderfully contoured face It looks fantastic but it is about that that element of play and I think that is a product, a physical, going back to what we were saying earlier, but that physical possession, providing that childish experience for you. And it's, I think, yeah, I think that is really important. And it's, mm-hmm. it's really important, like exploration in general, because that's kind of how we stumble across things. That's probably how someone at Kraft Heinz came across this burger idea. It's probably how we came up with the idea of dipping our digestives into some tea. Um, you know, some maverick was the first to do that, um, and then just decided, ah, oh, that's actually a very good thing. So yeah, it's really interesting to sort of see how how important um, sort of these little things that we don't deem important, but how important they can be Mm. in sort of the development of things. I mean, how simple, and Alex, maybe I'll come to you first on this one, but how simple or complex does this sort of happiness appeal have to be? Like on the one hand, you have sort of extravagance, and we spoke about indulgence at the start. But Mm. on the other hand, Simon mentioned earlier things about sort of comfort um, and sort of necessity as well. Like there are so many approaches to bringing happiness. So Mm. how how does this appeal have to play out?
0: Well, it doesn't. It's we looked in a big way at, at the role of hedonism. <clears throat> hedonism being the the pure pursuit of pleasure, you know, unadulterated, more of the instant gratification, you know. And we looked at the role of of hedonism versus something called, and this. Uh, <laughs> I always love to bring in the uh, the ancient Greeks here, but eudaimonia, which Eudemonia,
2: is uh, eudaimonia. Oh, man,
0: I nearly got it right. That was my big moment. <laughs> eudaimonia. OK, which is more uh, so with the, the definition of pleasure, you've got. It's a combination of enjoyment and satisfaction. Enjoyment is more of the hedonism, you know, the pure, the pure pleasure. On the other side, you got satisfaction, more mindful side, and that's more of this eudaimonia, which is more about living a life of virtue, finding meaning and purpose in your life to, to flourish. Um, and we realize that a lot of the work we do at Mintel is more of the satisfaction, the mindful side analyzing consumer demand through what they feel they need to be satisfied so the ethics side the health side and nutrition looking at say sustainability and food and drink the, the hedon hedonism side we argue warrants more analysis and and a closer yeah closer analysis really pick it apart what is it that people want in that moment is it Digging through a big ice cream tub of different layers, knowing you're going to get your favorite layer right at the bottom, which in the US some gelato companies have done, building in a mini journey of discovery, um, but, but building up to it, it's that anticipation again. It, it has to be complex because it's so valuable and important to consumers. It needs to be regarded as something that's very complex, hedonism, I would argue.
3: Can I just add as well, I think all of us on this call, you know, w- we are prone to moaning about things, but I say, Alex, out of all of us, eudaimonia.
2: Oh, really? <laughs> Beautiful.
1: <laughs> sorry. I think, I think uh, yeah, that, was, that, was a, that was a welcome interlude there, Simon. Thank you for that. I'm going to bring Aisha in <laughs> where she can stop crying with laughter for a second. to uh, a tra- sorry. <laughs> just sorry. just a tra- about <laughs> pleasure,
0: like, this whole topic. So, the man's got it's, it's the puns Oof. needed.
1: Simon has brought us pleasure there with that, with that um, little quip, so I appreciate that. Um, Aisha, for you, though, how simple or complex... Do, I mean, I don't know if you want to follow that, but um, how simple or complex does this happiness appeal need to be? I mean, you seem to know a lot about eudaimonia as well. I'm glad we had you to fact-check the uh, or to clarify the uh, pronunciation for us, but how do, how do you feel? Sort of, how do you see that appeal sort of playing out?
2: Um, well, I'm not, I'm not going to claim. I know, I know loads about it, but definitely, I think... I think Alex is right We talk a lot about um, The eudaimonia Side of things And not enough about The the hedonistic side of things But in terms of how simple um can things be in terms of giving you pleasure it can be really simple because eudaimonia itself is is around self improvement so that could be something as simple as perfecting a culinary skill so that might be kind of having a sourdough starter and keeping it keeping it going and learning how to bake bread that kind of feeling of self improvement actually can tap into that feeling of satisfaction for people it could be around embracing and sticking to a plant-based diet for example um so you're doing something better for yourself and better for the planet so that you know those things can be quite simple and then the hedonistic side of things is more in the moment so what can i do to feel good right now um so yeah i think both sides of, of, of that pendulum are equally important um one is just less explored than the other
3: it kind of goes back to the, the point that we were talking about at the start of the recording about waiting for things as well isn't it it's, it's about delaying the sort of instant gratification for a more mindful approach kind of slowing down a little bit focusing on what's important for you um, and i think we are seeing a shift away from kind of not away from instant gratification because people are so used to things like on instant delivery of products and so on that will still be in demand but people are sort of looking longer term and thinking about how they need to take a step back and maybe while well, hedonism and that instant gratification still plays a hugely important part, that more kind of slow approach, taking your time over things, to stepping away from technology, stepping away from your screen. People are seeing the benefits from a pleasurable point of view and also from a mental health point of view that that, that approach also has. And again, it's... it's You don't have to have one or the other. You don't have to have hedonism or slowness. You don't have to have instant gratification or delayed gratification. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have experiences or material possessions. All of these things can work together and should work together. So I think it's important for brands to think about not just the products that they're delivering, but how can they help their customers find that balance? What resources can they provide? What information can they provide? Because that's beneficial for the brand because... If they're making their client, their customers happier, they have a stronger relationship with those customers.
2: Yeah, one of the things that we, we speak about is... Um again addressing guilt the guilt that there is around um, pleasure and and eating for pleasure and what you said there Simon around it doesn't have to be that things are um, instantly gratifying or slow there can be a middle ground Um, a really nice example of that is from uh, Pie Minister so a kind of pie brand here in the UK and they've launched these Pie Minister kits um, so you can make your own pie but actually what they do is the fillings that they give you are completely cooked already your focus as a consumer is on that final mixing of the pastry ingredients together and then decorating the pie. So you're doing like the, the last 20%, the final flourish... That kind of takes a product from being good to great. You haven't invested that much time in it, but you have, or you've built all of this equity into the product. It kind of removes some of the guilt around making an indulgent pie, for example. But you feel ownership over it. You've you've earned it because you've made it in inverted commas. And I think there's a lot of these kind of halfway house kits on the market now, and it's something that brands should be thinking more about.
0: It's really interesting that that fat is twenty percent because I think it's getting that right isn't it that balance not giving too much or leaving a lot of work and just enough work for that consumer to do Mm -hmm. to to prepare but so much is done and increasingly I see a lot in food and drink it's about those getting that share or the the percentage that's already there for you it kind of for some reason reminded me of what's happening in in, um, low alcohol drinks at the moment and we get a lot of client queries about how much alcohol should we put in? You know, is two and a half percent okay for a beer? or Is that too much, or is it? Was it zero percent, or or what is it? It seems at the moment, and also with with uh, soft drinks, you know, how much juice do we put in a flavoured water? How much juice? Is it ten percent? Is it fifteen percent? There's a lot of percentage kind of analysis happening in so many different ways across innovation at the moment. That just struck me then. It's on a bit of a tangent. But um, what you're talking about there with that kit...
2: Yeah, how much is how much is too much or how much is not enough? <laughs> you know how how involved yeah. do consumers want to be? And it and it depends. I would say it's on the, it's on a scale. So you know what is the eating occasion and how invested do I want to be in this product? Um, but if we are if we are talking about hedonism, which Alex, you and I have done for our piece quite a lot, and we're talking about instant gratification, it's about remembering that often time and speed is of the essence there so I would say it's about erring on the side of well this person doesn't want to invest loads of time um, but how do you get them to feel like they created something at the end of it
0: and, and as Simon was saying about the importance of being childish, kids are the ultimate hedonists mm. what, can, what more can we learn from them about how to approach hedonism in food and drink beyond just dipping burgers and things
1: well thank you very much uh, for what has been a very interesting conversation i know that kind of half hour has just kind of flown by really listen to you all um, so i really do appreciate that i know that we've spoken quite a lot and um as i say with this uh, sort of big conversation coming up a lot of different things in mind this idea of now being the time to be a little bit indulgent or or to look at positivity a little bit more um i love this idea or I don't love the idea but it's a very interesting idea to look around how sort of guilt and guilty pleasures can play a big role. And this idea of sort of anticipation being very important, whether that's anticipation of receiving a product or actually having an experience yourself. Um, particularly, again, as I say, with different sort of with sort of climate change and all the other global situations, the health pandemic and everything else, it's interesting to see the ultimate sort of uh, mark of value can be around sort of enjoyment or the, the positive vibes the products uh, and experiences themselves can bring people. Um, I also as well, as Simon mentioned earlier, I love this idea of nostalgia. I mean, we've sort of ended on that idea of sort of childishness and sort of being childlike as being a really interesting way um, to sort of look at products and almost strip back. Um, sort of our, our development of products and think well actually yeah what what would bring just sort of the, the ultimate happiness in that um, and that really brings me on to I mean a new term that I learned today about eudaimonia oh, eudaimonia yeah. Um I, do, I know but I love the idea I love this idea of sort of human flourishing this idea of living well versus hedonism this sort of ultimate sort of search for pleasure and again sort of to, to go with what Simon was saying earlier it doesn't have to be an either or either way it's interesting to think when we think of happiness it's not a case of thinking just these po- polarized sort of concepts we need to think about. It's actually, we can play in all of these different sort of playing fields in in different ways. So really interesting to sort of have a look at, there's so many different ways that our clients and brands and companies and and people in general can approach this this topic of enjoyment and pleasure. Um, And there's so many different ways that we can use it to connect with people, whether that is through just indulgence, luxury products, or whether it is through ethics, sustainability, mindfulness, it's really interesting to look at. So, I really appreciate the conversation um, with all three of you today. It kind of wraps up, um, sort of, as I say, that the, the podcast for us. If you want to learn more about Mintel, uh, for anyone listening, um, then a lot of the topics we've discussed and more uh, you can find on Mintel.com if you're a client then please head over to clients.mintel.com and you'll find out even more in these sort of the studies uh, and things that we've done um, on these topics as well Uh, please also tune in on the 25th of May um, for the Big Conversation event where all three of my esteemed guests will be presenting live on the topics of pleasure and engagement and again indeed we'll have follow up articles and things for you to read as well Uh, and please continue to uh, subscribe to the Little Conversation wherever you get your podcasts uh, but all that's left for me to do is to thank everyone for listening but also to thank you Alex, uh, Aisha and Simon thank you so much the three of you um, for sort of tuning in and giving us your insight on these topics today so thank you all
2: thank you thank
1: you Andy it's been a pleasure it has indeed been a pleasure it's been very enjoyable uh, so it sort of wraps up nicely but thank you very much uh, and once again thank you very much for listening